All right, what's up, Eden Church? You guys seem awake. You got a few extra hours of sleep, so that makes sense. We're glad that you're in the house this morning. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden, and we're pumped. It is Easter Sunday, okay? That is like Super Bowl for the church, okay? We're pumped. It's going to be a good day. We're so grateful for what has happened here on this campus already, and we're excited about what's going to happen in this service. But I feel, I feel especially moved when I think about the fact that all over the world, there are billions of people celebrating the resurrected Lord as well. So let's, uh, let's give Jesus a round of applause this morning. I do want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you can always stay connected wherever you are. And then a special thank you to those of you who have stepped into this place for the first time. We realize that coming to an environment like this, especially if it's not a normal part of your rhythm, can be uh, intimidating or maybe nerve-wracking. You're like, what are they going to ask me to do? Okay, and the answer is nothing. We're not going to ask you to do anything except fill out that card, and it's for uh, good reason. Uh, but I just want you to know uh, that we are especially grateful that you're here today. It really means a lot. Now, I do want to draw your attention back to the card uh, that the ladies reference on the front end of the service. Um, you might be asking the question, why are we taking a server survey on Easter Sunday? And the answer is for two reasons. Number one, this is the one Sunday every year where we have most people that call Eden Church home in the same building at the same time. So we want to leverage that. But number two is we really do want to hear from you. Just like Kayla said, you have the opportunity to direct and influence what we talk about in the weeks and in the months to come. And so we'd love for, to hear from you. And if you could take a moment to fill out that card, that would be, uh, that'd be huge. And then you, you could win a gift card to Santana Row. I mean, that's, that's not a bad deal. Okay. So, um, so we're grateful that you're here. Now, I wonder how many of you can think about your favorite comeback story? Anyone have a favorite comeback story? Most of us can probably think of one. Most of us love a good comeback story as long as it doesn't involve Tom Brady. Can I get an amen from anybody else in the room? Okay, I'm going to show you a few people that represent this idea of comeback stories here on the screen. The first person you all probably recognize, let's go ahead and get him up on the screen. This picture was taken just a few years, uh, shortly after uh, Tiger Woods went through some of the most difficult years of his life. His personal life was in shambles, had gotten divorced, addicted to pain medication. Uh, his career seemed to be falling apart. He was performing horrible at tournaments, and, uh, and, and, and his physical body was falling apart. He had 10 surgeries to address injuries that had accumulated in his life over his career. And then in 2019, he entered the Masters Tournament, which is one of the most important tournaments, uh, golf tournaments in the world, and he won. And he mounted one of the greatest comebacks in golf history. I literally know grown men who were bawling watching this tournament, okay? <laughs> Tiger was one of the greatest comeback stories. Now, we have another person. Uh, you may recognize, maybe you don't. This is Bethany Hamilton. And as a young girl, she uh, grew up in Hawaii and was surfing. Now, this does not do a lot to promote the, the sport of surfing, uh, but she was bitten by a shark in her arm, and she had to have her arm amputated. Most of us, most people, would never step foot back into the ocean again. Not only did she get back in the ocean, she learned to surf again. And within a short amount of time, she uh, placed at one of the junior national tournaments. She medaled there. This was one of the greatest amateur surfing comebacks uh, in history. And then if you are a Bay Area native, 
this picture needs no explanation. Okay, this is what is referred to as the catch two. Okay, this is where the 49ers in the 1998 NFC uh, wild card game uh, were down in the closing seconds of the game. Steve Young takes the snap. He stumbles, almost falls to the ground, uh, but he regains his footing only to launch a pass in the end zone in between two defenders to Terrell Owens to win the game. And I remember as a 12-year-old boy in my socks and underwears cheering at the top of my lungs uh, for this victory. And you know what? We don't get a lot of love when I show this. It didn't happen last year because we're in the Bay Area and so many people are not from the Bay Area. Uh, and so we got a bunch of haters in the room this morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We are... Uh, but, but I think most of us, right, most of us love a good comeback story. And I think part of why we like it is because it's inspiring to us, it's moving to us, but in some sense or another, uh, there, we, we associate the comeback with our own life. There's, there's a part of it that we bring uh, the victory into our own lives. And this is why we celebrate Easter the way that we do, because Easter is literally the greatest comeback story in human history, and it is all centered around the life of a person named Jesus. If you were to study the life of Jesus, what you would learn very quickly is that Jesus' story is really the story of humble beginnings. He came and grew up uh, in a small town that not a lot of people had heard about. Uh, in last service, I gave a real-life reference of a town uh, that may reflect that. And then I decided that wasn't a good decision because there were people in the room from that town, and it was a little bit offensive. But Jesus grew up in a town that nobody heard of, and his parents weren't prestigious in any way, shape, or form. And yet somehow, over the course of his life, Jesus came to this place of deep and utter influence in the culture. There were people from all over the world that wanted to learn from him and know more from him and interact from him. And, uh, and what was interesting is you look at the life of Jesus, is that in the early days when nobody was following him, nobody cared about him. But some of you... Uh, know the famous words of the cultural philosopher named Notorious B.I.G., all right? The more money I come upon, the more problems I see. Okay, now that wasn't necessarily true for Jesus because Jesus didn't come into more money, but he did come into more influence. And as Jesus' influence began to grow, so did the hostility toward him. And so Jesus could sense it all around him. He'd go to these crowds out in the public, preaching and healing like he had done hundreds of times before, except he noticed that the vibe was a little bit different. And so, what was different about it? It was the people. Because at first, the only people that were coming to Jesus' gatherings were people who wanted help and who needed healing. But now Jesus noticed that there were people who were showing up who were looking for trouble. Jesus started attracting all these religious trolls in his ministry and in his career. And they would literally follow Jesus from one event to the next. And everywhere they went, they tried to interrupt the message that Jesus was preaching or discredit his, uh, his influence. And it's like if you guys have ever posted something on social media and then someone goes to your page and makes a negative comment about your post. And it's like, no, get out of here. That's when you block someone or there's now a way that you can block them and they don't know about it. That's what you do. Okay, And that's kind of what happened to Jesus. But as bad as it was for Jesus, he kind of anticipated the haters. And, uh, and you guys probably know, like I know, there is a difference between when you're being attacked by someone who doesn't like you and you're being attacked by some friendly fire. Uh, it's not surprising, right? 
When someone who doesn't like you posts something negative about you on social media, it is a little bit hurtful when you see that your friend liked that post. And that's kind of what happened to Jesus. Because there was this one night that Jesus was having dinner with his disciples, and these were his key leaders and his closest friends. And there was tension beginning to develop and thickening between Jesus and one of his disciples. And so Jesus confronted him, talked to him about it. And in the, in the middle of that dinner, that disciple gets up, he leaves the dinner, and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is equivalent to about a few months of income. And that one moment in the career of Jesus triggered the beginning of an avalanche that would come against Jesus' life. The first thing that happened is Jesus was arrested. That same night, there was this band of soldiers that found Jesus praying in a garden, and they arrested him, they mocked him, they beat him, and eventually they tortured him. And this is what history tells us, is that Jesus was given 39 lashes and beaten with a cat of nine tails. And a cat of nine tails is like this really specialized whip that has nine strands, and at the tip of each of those strands is a piece of broken off glass or a shard of clay or broken bone. And the point of this whip was to hit somebody, and when you hit them, those pieces of broken glass or shards of bone or broken clay would literally dig into their flesh, and when you would retract the, the whip, it would pull the skin and the muscle from the back. And so for many people who were given 39 lashes, by the end of it, their rib cages were exposed, their organs were exposed. And the point of all of it was to bring someone right to the point of death. Then we see that Jesus was convicted. He was brought before a Roman official named Pontius Pilate, and he convicted Jesus on the basis of a false accusation. And Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but he still sentenced him to death by crucifixion. And what we know about crucifixion is that it was literally the most brutal form of capital punishment in the ancient world. It was developed by the Persians and then perfected by the Romans. And the point of crucifixion was to inflict the greatest amount of pain and the deepest amount of shame on someone's life. And because the Romans had such advanced medical knowledge, they knew that there was a high cluster of nerve endings in the wrists and in the ankles. And so they nailed Jesus' hands to the cross and his feet to the cross to cause the deepest amount of pain. And history also tells us that when crucifixions would happen in a particular town, that there were this, a group of oftentimes low-life civilians that would make sport of these types of events. And so they would take bets on who would bleed first or who would bleed the most or who would cry out first or who would die first. And so if you can imagine, there were these men who were hanging on these crosses, crying out for their lives. And, on the, on, and then there was a group of outsiders pointing at them, laughing at them, mocking them. And Scripture tells us that Jesus struggled on that cross for six hours until his body finally gave out. And if you can imagine being one of his disciples and close friends who had banked their life that Jesus was going to do something significant, when Jesus died, all of their hopes and dreams for the future died with him. All they knew to do was to grab his body off of that cross and bury him in a borrowed tomb. Everything they'd worked for, everything that they sacrificed for, everything 
that they gave up to follow Jesus died when Jesus died on that cross. And this is where we pick up in the Bible, in John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. It says, early on the first day of the week, Jesus was murdered on a Friday, and it was now Sunday. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, uh, not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so we have Mary and a few other ladies who had purchased some spices because they wanted to honor Jesus in his death. And they head to the tomb, and when they arrive at the tomb, they notice that the stone of the tomb had been rolled away. And so differently from how we bury people today, it doesn't, the burial sites didn't go in the ground. They actually were holes that were carved on the side of a hill or a mountain, and then it was covered by a large stone. And so as soon as she saw that the stone had been rolled away, she assumed that someone stole the body. Verse 2, it says, so she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now you can tell by the tone of Mary's words that she was panicked. And as soon as she explained to the other disciples what was happening, it seemed like they were panicked too because they took off right to, the, right to where the tomb was and the ladies followed after them. And then we are brought into this moment where we see all of the weight and all of the stress and all of the anxiety that had been building up in Mary's life over the last few days sort of come crushing down on her. In verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. When Mary ran back to the cave, we see that she was already panicked, and then it invites us into this moment where she looks into this empty cave, and for some reason, there was like this trigger of this emotional onslaught in her life where the weight and the destruction and the, the terrible nature of this last season of her life just came crashing down. And for Mary, the empty tomb was a picture of so many unfulfilled expectations in her life. She never imagined that when she signed up to start following Jesus, that someday she would be standing at his grave because she assumed that Jesus was going to be this great political leader and make a difference in the world and could have never imagined that his life would have ended in this way. And then just to add injury to insult, the tomb was now empty and someone had stolen his body. She never imagined that she would be that lonely. She never imagined that she would feel that desperate or so uncertain about the future. And I wonder if any of us have ever been in that place in life before. You thought by now you'd have things figured out. You thought by now your finances would be taken care of. You thought by now that you would have the relationships that you wanted. You thought by now that you would have clear direction in your career or clear direction about the future. You thought by now that your marriage would be healthy or that your relationship with your children would have been restored. If you have ever been in that place in your life, then you know how crushing the weight of reality can be. And that's exactly where Mary was. She was crushed. She was broken. She was discouraged at the sight of this empty tomb. But that is the beauty of the Easter story. Because this is not how it ends. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 4 through 6. It says, while they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning 
stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. In this one statement, in this one moment, the idea of resurrection moved from like this theological concept in the Jewish culture, and it began to carry some real life significance. Because the word resurrection literally means that which to bring back, to bring back to life that which was once dead. And these angels in front of this empty tomb and this empty grave explained that Jesus has not been robbed. He has not been stolen. Jesus is alive. And when Jesus rose from that grave, it became the greatest comeback story in human history. And that is why the resurrection split history between A.D. and B.C., around one man's life. It's because of the resurrection that there have been more songs sung and more books written and more paintings painted of one person than any other person in the entire world. It's because of the resurrection that this morning and today, at some point throughout the course of the day, 2.3 billion people in the world will worship him as Savior. It's because of the resurrection that Christianity is distinguished between every other religion. Because every other religion says this is what it takes to get to God. But Christianity says, look at what God was willing to do to get to you. And I don't imagine that any one of us came into this place this morning because we wanted to revisit the gory details of Jesus' death. But you cannot understand the depth of God's love without understanding the depth of his sacrifice. Scripture says in Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. Sin is this archery term that means to miss the mark. And so we sin anytime that we do things outside of God's best for our lives. We sin anytime that we act selfishly to another human being or to God. And the Bible says that we have all at some level in some area of our life missed that mark. And the consequence of that is separation from God. And Jesus knew that the weight of our sin would crush us. And so when Jesus hung on that cross and he rose from the grave, he did it on our behalf. He conquered the grave on our behalf. He made a way where there was no way. And what you learn as you begin to enter into the conversation around faith, when you begin to, to interact with Jesus face to face, is that the resurrection is not some event in history that we celebrate, but it is this moment, this promise that we can experience. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies and the same Spirit living in you. The same Spirit. This is the promise. The same Spirit that 2,000 years ago helped Jesus conquer the grave is the, is the promise of the same spirit that lives in us today. The same spirit that allows for us to overcome addiction. The same spirit that allows for us to overcome depression or anxiety or to manage our lives in a way that honor God. It's the same spirit. 
And over the last five years in this church, we have been banking on that promise that God is still changing lives, that God is still redeeming and restoring that which was broken. And we have seen it over and over and over again. And there was one time in my life that I saw a resurrection story that I haven't been able to get over. As a child, my mom was a functional alcoholic. And the day that my dad was unfaithful to her was the worst day of her life. And I remember how dark and desperate all of that was. That time was so discouraging and challenging. My mom was depressed and overwhelmed with life and burdened by her pain. And she had no idea what to do with it. And even though my mom wasn't physically dead, she was dead in every other sense of the word. And then someone invited her to church. And my little family darkened the doorsteps of that community and I witnessed my life, my mother's life resurrect from the grave. I saw a new person. She walked into that church broken and bitter and buried in her pain, but she walked out of that place with a brand new life. For my mother, the resurrection wasn't just some Bible story. It was her story of how God and his love brought her back to life. And I think that there are some of you that are here today that are in desperate need of a resurrection moment in your life. There are some of you that have come into this place this morning and you have been distant from God because in your mind you were living under the narrative that you have done something too much for God to forgive. And you would say, Daniel, I love the story of the resurrection. It is beautiful. But the problem is, is that you do not know what I have done. And you don't know what has been done to me and you don't know the thoughts that I've thought and you don't know the person that I've become. But the problem is not that I don't know what you've done. The problem is that you do not know what God has done on your behalf. Scripture says, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion and he was crushed for our sins and he was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Jesus did not just die for you. Jesus died instead of you. And Scripture says all that you have to do to experience a resurrection in your life is to receive the gift of salvation. It says anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you can cast every single one of your cares and anxieties and stresses upon me because I'm strong enough to carry them. And I know that all of us got dressed up to come to Easter service on a Sunday morning and we look good on the outside, but I promise you that there are some of us in this room, honestly, most of us in this room that are battling some kind of battle in our life right now and you need a resurrection moment. There's some of, that you, some of you that showed up here searching for something more and there are some of you that know there is this gaping, God-shaped hole in your heart. And you have been running from one thing to the next, searching for significance somewhere. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's in your wealth or your retirement. And what you have found is that at the end of every season, you just end up more empty than when you began. 
every heart will search for significance and end up tired and worn out until you find your rest in Christ. If you're here this morning and you sense that God is prompting you to cross the finish line of faith, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I want to help you. The scripture says it's, it's actually pretty simple. It's all about receiving the gift that God has offered through his son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. It's not about how much you give or how much you work or how much you serve, but it is about your heart because the only thing that God has ever wanted from you is your heart. Not because he wants to control you, but because he knows that he can do more with your heart than you can. And he knows that he loves your heart more than this world does. And at the end of it, he will leave you better than when he found you. And so this morning, if you want to step into faith for the first time, if you're looking for a resurrection moment in your life, I'm going to encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes. At this time, all of us can do that. And I want you to pray this simple prayer with me in your heart. Dear God, I know that I have sinned. And I have put other things first in my life. But I believe that Jesus was crucified for my sins. That he was raised from the dead. And from this day forward, as best as I know how, I want to live for you. Today, I receive the gift of life in Jesus by faith. In his precious name I pray, amen. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And if you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to do one more thing, one more step of faith in your life. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, not right now, but in just a moment on the count of three. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I believe that something solidifies spiritually when we respond physically. Something solidifies spiritually when we respond physically. And so if you prayed that prayer in your heart this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the, crown, on the count of three. One, you have to know how much God loves you. Two, you did not end up in this place by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Raise your hand. I see you. 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 I see you, I see you, I see you. Go ahead and put your hands down this morning if you're tuning in online and you made that decision. I wanna encourage you at the bottom of the comments section, you can go ahead and click the raise hand and let us know, our team know that you made that decision this morning. They'd love to help you get resources to go beyond this moment. Father, we thank you for your love and the hope that we have in you. We thank you that every week, God, we see you changing lives, restoring people's hearts who have come into this place broken and overwhelmed and tired and stressed and concerned about their future. God, you have given them peace. And that is the beauty of being in relationship with you. No, how, no matter how hard and how difficult of life we have gone through, Lord, we are never without hope. And this morning, God, I pray a blessing over those who are part of this service that you would go with them throughout their week that you would be with them, and that you would supply them with everything they need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, would you do me a favor? 
and let's show some love to every person who stepped into faith for the first time.